So it's been a crazy week, and when we heard that story last Sunday, not knowing how anything was going to unravel with the election and how everything's kind of spun and just gone on and on and on this whole week, we just thought, you know what, that story needs to go out in the life of our church to remind people what it means for the kingdom of God to win in the midst of a broken system that we're called to participate in. And so I don't know what this week has looked like for you, but I know that the stories that are ultimately worth celebrating celebrating are the stories of eternal significance, that we are citizens of heaven. And so if you're rejoicing because you're celebrating what the government could look like for the next four years, or you're mourning and you're upset and you're angry, I don't know where you land this week, but I know personally I've been praying for you, and I've been praying for our church that last Sunday's message would not be just a message that we put on the shelf of the past and go, that was a cool seasonal message about the election. That has to become our heartbeat as a church. That's the only way you're getting peace in these days. And I love that her name is Peace. I love that she's on the front row. Wow, that's amazing. I didn't even know until I said that. So God's using you in a powerful way. Thank you for being so vulnerable and thank you for being so honest. If you are just joining us once again, sorry that there are fire alarms and electrical issues and all kind of things happening in our building today. It's fitting though because... Um, even on Thursday when we were filming our online gathering, I felt like this word had a significant level of opposition to it because God has someone so specific he wants to reach through this word. And so if you're new to Auburn Community Church, my name is Miles. You have been prayed for. The seat that you're sitting in has had a human being pray for it, not touch it because hello, COVID, um, but it has been prayed over. And we're excited that you're here. We've been in a series on the book of Ephesians, and there's no way I can go through a full recap. But the great thing is you can find that entire series online. Watch this on our brand new website that just went live this week. Our team has been working for months to make this happen. And the great thing about our new website is not only can you find all kinds of different resources and go back in different sermon series and things like that. I feel like for the first time we've captured on a website the culture of our church. So many people are so curious about what's happening here, and it doesn't make a lot of sense, and they just want to be told, how did this even happen in the first place, and what does it look like to be a part of Auburn Community Church? So if you get time this week, I want you to check out our brand new website, and I want you to look at all the opportunities to serve. There are things happening in the life of our church that we just can't get up in front of you every Sunday and go, here's all of the announcements. Here's the 15 things you can get involved in. Like there's a, there's a Saturday serve happening through Alabama Rural Ministry next Saturday that you can sign up for. There's teams that you can join that we're actually functioning and serving people on the way in. And it's a great time to join a serve team because every time our college students go back out of town, we lose 95% of our serve base. And then it's like, who's going to watch all these kids <laughs> find babysitters? And so we got to like recruit college students to come back from wherever they're hometown is. And so I want to encourage you to serve in whatever season that you're in. This is the time to do it in the life of our church. But I'm ready to bring this word to you. And I I try to just, especially when we're going through a book of the Bible, I try to just preach on what the text says and apply it to your life and find the tension that exists that we're all feeling collectively. But every once in a while, there's a passage of scripture that speaks to me so personally and hits me in a season where I needed it so desperately that I just have to be honest with you and go, this is more than a sermon that I'm up here just telling you something from the word of God and giving you suggestions about how to live your life. This is very personal for me. And so So as I'm sharing every word that I'm saying, you need to know this. I'm literally envisioning myself sitting where you are sitting because if anybody in this church needs this sermon, it's me. 
And the title of this installment of our Ephesians series is called Empty is the Enemy. Empty is the Enemy. Can you look at somebody next to you and say, we're going to get full today. We're going to get full today. And don't think about brunch. Stay in this moment. Stay in this space. I believe there's a level of fullness coming our way. And I want to begin this by asking you to be vulnerable and be honest. I want to ask an honest question, and I want you to raise your hand in response. Just getting to know you better and applying it to this sermon, I want to know how many of you have legitimately, like it was your fault, it was all on you, you could have prevented it. How many of you have legitimately ever run out of gas? And it was your, like, it was, it was all your fault. Raise it high. Don't, don't be ashamed. Raise it high. You've run out of gas. I will never understand you if you just raised your hand. I'll never understand that, ever. Because I am, like, adamant about paying attention to the gauge of everything that I own, specifically my car. I've never even come close to running out of gas. And when somebody does, I'm always like, how is that possible? How is it possible to not pay attention to how such an important appliance to your life actually works? And in a similar way, my car has never run out of gas. I'm also passionate about my devices staying fully charged. So how many of you, if you could be honest, you're the charger borrower. Like, you're, you're the person who shows up, you're like, does anybody have a charger? Hey, hey, do you, mom, did you bring your charger? Hey, I need, a, I need a phone charger because, you know, I knew I had this meeting, like, all week long, but, you know, my computer died, and our staff will tell you that I need counseling about this because I get in meetings, and everybody's like, oh, man, I got to charge up my computer, I got to charge up my device. I'm like, you literally, this has been on your calendar all week long, and we have these things that allow our devices to pretty much work all day long. I, I, I kid you not, never once, one time, one time in my life, and it was because of circumstances I couldn't control, one time has my phone ever died. I'm all about keeping things fully charged. I'm all like, I do not want to end up in a situation. It's not because I'm just obsessed and have to have it. It's just because I'm always aware of like, that's the gauge on that. I need to make sure that's charged. I do the same thing with the baby monitor. I do the same thing with everything and not just like electrical devices. I do the same thing with my body. I'm Italian. So I eat till I'm full and then more. And, and it's a little bit of a problem, and I know, so, I know some of that's not okay, but like if I'm at a restaurant, I will go ahead and order something, talk to the waiter about whether or not that portion's going to be enough to fill me up, and then go, maybe a side of fries on top of that, or actually something that I do, it drives my wife crazy. If you go to a restaurant where, you, where they serve bread or like chips and salsa beforehand, I will ensure at the beginning of the meal that the server doesn't stop bringing whatever that is every single time by telling them in secret that my wife really enjoys that. And so I like, I like pull them aside, I'm like, hey, listen, like my wife, she's all about chips and salsa, and so you just need to keep refilling that. And make sure that we keep the gauge on full. I'm all about fullness in a lot of different external things. But I say that to say, just being as transparent as I can and as vulnerable as I can, as great as I am at making sure I'm full in all of these things that don't really ultimately matter, I am equally as bad at making sure my, full, my, full, my soul stays full from within. I have noticed increasingly a problem in my life spiritually where I will continue to pour out and pour out and pour out until I'm so empty within. I don't have anything else left to give to the people around me spiritually, and I'll find my soul in this state of depletion where it's not just physical exhaustion. It's a level of spiritual emptiness where the people around you know you're not really experiencing joy in your relationship with God 
and you're not thriving in the life Jesus died and rose for you to live. And so here's who I wanted to preach to you today. This is not for everybody. This is for certain Christians in the room, but I think everybody's going to be able to read into this sermon. I want to preach to somebody who's spiritually empty today. I want to talk to somebody whose soul is depleted. And maybe it was because of the events of this week. Maybe it's because of external things, or maybe it's just because of your own schedule and rhythms. Spiritual emptiness is your greatest internal enemy in the Christian life. And I don't say that lightly because you do have an external enemy, Satan, the devil, and he's powerful. But part of the reason why I know he's external is because we're going to get to Ephesians chapter 6 when we talk about the armor of God. And everything the armor of God protects you from is an attack from without. And so when you put on all of the armor of God, what you're doing is you're protecting yourself from these attacks that are coming against you from the outside. But the attack that will beat you from the inside is when you get filled up with the love of God and you actually start living your life on mission in many different ways. Like for a few of you, it looks like full-time ministry, but for a lot of you, it looks like your role in your house or your role in your job or all of the roles that you fill in life. And you will have this dangerous tendency to pour out and pour out and pour out and pour out, neglecting being filled with the love of God on the inside of your soul. And then you'll get years down the road and look at some of your relationships and you'll look at some of your attitudes and your thoughts and your emotions and you'll go, I don't even really recognize who I'm becoming, what in the world happened. And it isn't because of an attack from out there. It's because of an emptiness that exists from in here. And when you end up with that level of emptiness, that is a dangerous place to be. This is not like a season of suffering that God wants you to bounce back from or walk through the valley and get to the other side. Spiritual emptiness is always not where God wants you to live. And so 2020, I've been honest from our stage over and over again. It's been a lot of realizations about unhealthy rhythms for me, but it's also been a sobering awareness of the consequences of letting your soul get so depleted and drained and not caring about the things that matter most. And so I was in my journal, uh, this was a couple months ago, right, right, right when we were reopening, maybe the week that we were baptizing off uh, Hamilton Road, and I wrote this line, and I thought, you know what? There's going to be a day and time that I share that in a sermon, but I'm not going to force it because I think these words are so powerful and go hand in hand with the passage in Ephesians that we're going to look at today, and I just want this to land in your life, and I want you to feel the weight of it. It is a dangerous thing for what God is doing through you to outpace what God is doing in you. It is a dangerous thing for what God is doing through you to outpace what God is doing in you. And for a lot of you who the power of God is on your life to love and serve people, the power of God is on you to work and to will yourself, all the ways that he's called you to do legitimately good things in your life. But if what God's power is doing in and through your life for all the people around you and all the responsibilities around you, if that's outpacing and taking more from you than how the love of God is filling you up on the inside, you are headed for spiritual emptiness. And if you're here today and you're like, how do I know if I'm spiritually empty? Here's the answer. You live more off of what God did in you then than you live off of what he's doing in you now. And too many of us are living off of memories of what God showed us in the past and revelations and moments of worship that exist so far in the past. And God's like, I love what I did in you there and then. And that was real. But I've got a fresh revelation of who I am here and now. And if you will let me fill you up from within, I can do more than you can ever ask or imagine, immeasurably, immeasurably more, as you're going to see in the passage today. 
So I don't know who this is for, but I feel like there's a group of Christians, specifically people who have poured out so much into the people around them. And if you got honest today, you're like, yeah, my exhaustion is not just that I need a nap. I need the spirit of God to come and fill me from the inside out because I've been pouring out and pouring out and pouring out. Now, like I said, it's not for everybody. There's some of you in this room who your problem is not that you're spiritually empty. I'm just going to be honest with you. Your problem is that you are spiritually obese. And you have like taken and taken and taken from the church and from people and from everybody else who serves you and everybody else who puts into you and God who resourced you and your family. And you honestly have so much stockpiled that the most healthy thing you can do spiritually is give some of yourself and some of your stuff away. And if, if, that, if you're in that place, my sermon for you is a lot shorter. Serve, give, and live your life as a living sacrifice to the glory of God like you're called to. That one takes less time. That's a few of you. But more often than not, especially those of you who are super passionate about the purposes of God in the world, our tendency is not to veer toward inaction. Our tendency is to veer toward burnout. And so I want to speak to somebody today who maybe God's been doing powerful things through you, but it's been a while since he's lit a fire from within, and it's been a while since he filled up your soul from the inside. So I'm excited to preach, I believe, to be the greatest passage in the entire Bible about spiritual fullness. If you have your Bible, hold it up all over the 9 a.m. Hold it up. So we haven't done one legitimate Bible drill at the 9 a.m. since we restarted, and I thought today would be a good day to head into a new era. If you are wanting to remove yourself from the single people Bible drill at Auburn Community Church, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Everybody else Bibles in the air. Man, this is such a smaller Bible drill. You are bold, man, and you, God's going to do something through you. Okay, and in you first. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. You guys should see the difference between the Bible drill at 9 and 7. It's, it's literally morning and evening. It's night and day. Okay. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 1. Where we've been? Where we've been? We've been talking about Jews and Gentiles being reconciled into the family of God. The purpose of Ephesians. Paul writes to this church. They're about to split up. And Paul's like, no. We're going to be humble and we're going to recognize the truths of the gospel that make us into one family. So we talked about being one one family united under the name of Jesus, black, white, Republican, Democrat, rich, poor, wherever. If you are in Christ, you are a part of a family and the priority of the church is to maintain unity under the banner that Jesus wins and Jesus is everything. And, and that's something that I want to continue to reiterate again and again and again. We got to hold on to that. But now Paul's going to pray this prayer in chapter three that is so dense with the riches of the gospel that I just believe that through having a Bible study at Auburn Community Church today, some of your souls are going to be filled. But where this passage is going to end up is the greatest instruction manual for how to fill your soul spiritually. So you're not going to really see the connection to everything I just talked about initially, but there is gold in this passage. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 1, if you're there, say I'm there. Paul says this, for this reason, so in light of everything I just said about unity, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been made been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Paul says, I've been given this grace with clarity about the gospel. 
And Paul's level of clarity about what Jesus has done, he says, listen, this was a mystery. People didn't even know about this in generations past, but now God has been crystal clear to give me vision. Specifically, God actually shut down Paul's physical vision and gave him a spiritual vision of what Jesus was doing to make this family called the church. And in verse six, he gives us what that mystery is. This is one of the most important verses in the whole Bible. This mystery, this is what people couldn't figure out, is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the last of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. So Paul says, I've been given this grace. I've been given this clarity about this mystery. What's the mystery? Go back to verse 6. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. We read that in 2020 and we don't feel anything. You need to know that 2,000 years ago, the shock and awe that God, the God of Israel, would invite all people into his family was overwhelming and borderline unbelievable for most people. That God would extend, not just through Abraham to a nation, but through Jesus to all people. Because what was God's original promise to Abraham? He said, I'm going to bless you and you'll do what? You'll be a blessing to all nations. Not just the family that I give you and the descendants that I give you, which will be greater than the stars in the sky. But through you, I'm going to make you a blessing to everyone. And this blessing is extended to anyone and everyone who would believe by faith that Jesus is the son of God, that he died for their sins, that he rose again. You are welcomed into the family of God, not because of where you came from or who you're related to by blood. You are welcomed into the family of God because of the blood of Jesus. And then Paul says, he says, I've been given this grace to make it plain to everyone. It was a mystery. It was hazy. It was unclear. My job, make it clear. And he does a great job. And I believe that 2,000 years later, our church has been given a unique ability, gifting, and capacity to make plain to everyone the gospel. This isn't me, like, Tapping us, patting us on the back and going, oh my gosh, we're amazing. But God's given us a rare gift, church. And it's in the combination of the way we go about worshiping and the way we go about coming together, the way we go about preaching, the way we go about living on mission. But what God is doing at ACC, when you talk to people, people say that what used to be so unclear and hazy about who Jesus was became so clear the moment they saw the level of devotion and worship that exists in this space. So I want you to make no mistake about it. We are not trying to create a church in 2020 that's hype or has a big following. We're trying to make plain what's been made clear to us. What's that? That Jesus is a better option for your life than anything you could give your life to. So if you're wondering, like, why are people talking back to him right now? And why are there people who worship so passionately? And why would people wait during a fire drill outside before church starts? It's because of this. We actually have seen with clear clarity Jesus versus every other option for our lives. And we found this to be true. My life is eternally better spent on mission for the glory of God than spending it on myself. And you're going to find that to be true two different ways. Doing it Jesus' way or doing it your own way and ending up broken and empty. And so what we're trying to do is we're just trying to make it clear. We're trying to make it plain to everyone. Now look at verse 10. This is when it gets crazy. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. 
according to his eternal power that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. Go back to verse 10. Y'all look up here. When you're reading the Bible and you see something that is so confusing and it just looks like a bunch of spiritual language that doesn't make sense, please press in. I know we are living in a time where our attention spans just get shorter and shorter and shorter, but there's gold in the scriptures if you will focus and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal something to you. Look at this verse. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. This is why God saved all people. And it says, God wanted this united church of all people, not just Jews, to make known the manifold wisdom of God. That's the glory of God's knowledge and work in the world. God wanted to make known how wise he is to who? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Who is that? And I only know how to read into this correctly because Paul uses that exact phrase in Ephesians chapter 6 when he talks about the armor of God. And he says, our enemy is not against flesh and blood. No, that's not what our war is. Our war is against the rulers in the heavenly realms, the authorities in the heavenly realms. He's talking about spiritual forces of darkness, demons. And I know that that gets a little complicated just seeing your faces to go, whoa, didn't see that coming. (laughs) But this this is how cool your God is. God did all of this through the church to put on a show for the spiritual forces of darkness so that they would see what God was doing through the gospel and be blown away by how wise God is. Because just as much, I would say more so, than human beings being surprised that Jesus welcomed in all people to the family of God through the cross, you want to know who was more surprised by that? The spiritual forces of darkness. And so when Jesus binds this one family together, the family of God, The demons flee, but they also look upon the wisdom of God and go, he is so wise. That's that's unbelievable that he has the capacity to do that. So watch this. When the gospel goes out, two things are revealed. How much God loves people and how much his wisdom overwhelms and confounds darkness. That's how amazing your God is. His intent was that how does he do this? Through the church. The church exists to be a beacon of light so that Satan and all of his friends look and are dumbfounded by how great our God is. And what does this lead to? It leads to we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I love that. As the darkness flees and they don't know what to do with the wisdom of our God, what do we get? Freedom and confidence. That's why you hear Matt Cole and I all the time on this stage go, we worship with freedom and confidence. We don't come in here going, oh, i got to explain away all that I did this week. No, we come in freed up and we go, I'm confident, not because of what I bring to the table, but because I know what the blood of Jesus has purchased for me. And I know that I don't have to stand here ashamed and figure my life out before I'm able to truly worship God. And then watch this. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you which are for your glory. I love that Paul threw that in at the end. He says, God's done this amazing thing by revealing this mystery and people are free and confident and the darkness is overwhelmed. 
But I ask you, don't be discouraged because I'm in prison right now. Because one of the most confusing things about all of the truths that I just preached is that all of that can be true. God can be sovereign, ruling the universe and bringing people back to life in the name of Jesus. And the darkness can be running away. And at the exact same time, there can be massive suffering and persecution in the world. And so when you read this, you're like, Paul, if all that's true, why you got to write this from prison? Like, if your God is that powerful and you're that confident that he has done all of this, why are you suffering right now? And you can never separate the sovereign rule of Jesus from his capacity to use the suffering and the darkness in this world to tell his story over and over again. Paul goes, this isn't for you to be discouraged. This is for your glory because the proclamation of what I am saying is being made known because of the suffering and persecution. So listen, church, regardless of how you view everything that went down this week, just felt called to say this. We never, ever, ever stop holding on to the fact that Jesus rules and reigns over the universe. Ever. I did, I did a social media post this week where I just posted the headline of my life and our church, Jesus wins. And it was interesting because you, you literally, guys, you need to be careful because you can't say anything right now without just people being mad. It's like, ugh. That, that doesn't matter that Jesus wins. And, and then I saw other Christians chiming in, not on like my stuff, but on, on way bigger platforms and saying things like, listen, Christians need to like quiet down about how in control and sovereign God is because the important thing that needs to be focused on is the work that needs to get done, the people who need to get cared for and the policies that need to be put in place. And I hear that, but listen, you're at this church, just want to tell you, don't buy that. Stay close to the fact that Jesus rules and reigns because I'm telling you, you read this book, leaders come, leaders go. God raises them up, throws them away. That is not where our hope and where our faith is. It is in a sovereign king. And we're not going to shut up about it. We're not going to like quiet down or stifle that at all. We are going to stay connected to Jesus is in control. Jesus, you can actually laugh about the fact that Jesus is in control as you are on your way to be martyred for the glory of God. There are thousands that have done that. Never stop holding on to the fact that Jesus rules and reigns overall, even if things are going great and especially if things are going bad. That's its own sermon. Now we're going to get back to the point of this sermon, which is what? Spiritual fullness in Christ. Here we go. This is the passage I've been building up to. This is one of the most famous passages in the entire Bible. And what I'm about to read to you is one sentence in ancient Greek. And this is Paul's ultimate prayer over the Ephesians. It's my prayer over you guys today and my prayer over my own life. Here we go. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul says, I kneel before the Father. That's a posture of desperation. And he says, I'm praying that, yeah, I know that you know Jesus and I know that you're a part of this church, but I'm praying that you wouldn't settle just for that. I'm praying for more. What's he praying for? That God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul's praying for spiritual fullness. 
He's saying, I'm, I'm praying that after the fact that you accepted Jesus, after you're in the family of God, after you know the gospel, there's a level of spiritual fullness that you're called to live with. And Paul's going, out of his glorious riches, I'm just begging God that he would strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being. What's he begging God for? He's like, please give them power. But power always exists with a purpose. What power is he talking about from within? It's a power to, what does power exist to do? Do something that you may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Paul says the power exists to grasp love. Everybody look up here and don't miss this. If you're empty today, I don't know your story and I don't know why. For most of you, it's not the reason why I have a tendency toward emptiness. Mine has more to do with pouring out in front of you like I'm doing right now and not filling up my own soul in my own time. But that doesn't mean that your emptiness is very different than mine. Your emptiness is always on the backside of your output being greater than your input. But I have found that whether you're empty because you're a mom who just can't find a way to get some rest or you're a dad and you own a company and there are responsibilities there and there are responsibilities at home and you got a broken family that you come from and maybe you got a broken marriage in your past and you're going, I just, I can't handle the level of pressure that is always on me to come through. I don't know if that's your emptiness. I don't know if you're a college student and it's like the demands and the pressure that are on me to get to a certain place far exceed the peace that comes from one morning quiet time. So I skip one and it ends up being a week and it ends up being a couple of months. And then I'm back here in church and I'm just so empty because I've just been trying to go and go and go and do and do. I don't know why your emptiness exists and I don't know what season of life you're in, but I have found that spiritual emptiness is always the byproduct of the same thing. It's the byproduct of rooting your life in your own love for God instead of rooting your life in God's love for you. Spiritual emptiness is the byproduct of rooting your life in your own love for God instead of rooting your life in God's love for you. So you don't know this, but after you got filled up with the love of God and you pour out and you pour out and you pour out so often, you subconsciously start to believe that your life is about loving God and loving people externally. And you forget 1 John where it says we know and rely on the love God has for us. Not that we loved him. He is the one who first loved us. And so our root and our source is never that we would become good enough at spending our love on things like obedience or things like justice or things like service. All of those things are good. But when those become your core, you're going to end up depleted. Your core has to say, stay, even when you have nothing to bring to the table, God loves you so unconditionally. And there's got to be a fresh revelation of that love that exists to fill you internally so you don't end up burned out and empty. It is love that ends up being the fuel that goes out. And so some of you will say, well, I'm so empty. I've fallen out of love with God. And you're right. You have fallen out of love with God, but not in the sense that your feelings aren't there or that he doesn't love you. You've fallen out of filling yourself internally with how much God loves you and letting that be the fuel that you live your life with gratitude. And so here's how it works. We're about to get to the most famous verse in Ephesians about the immeasurable power of God. But I want to share this with you. Write this down. God's power through you will deplete you if God's love doesn't refill you. God's power through you will deplete you if God's love doesn't refill you. So we love talking about what the power of God has the capacity to do. 
And here's what nobody tells you. God can give you supernatural power to do things for his glory and for the kingdom. But nobody tells you at the beginning of that, that if all you do is spend that power through your life again and again, and you don't fill yourself with how much God loves you personally and intimately, you will end up empty. And then this verse hits. Now to him, look at this who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Love this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. You know when people say, God's going to do immeasurably more, I just believe that. That's not necessarily true. The verse doesn't say God will do immeasurably more. It says he's able to do immeasurably more. Meaning it's conditional. Conditional on what? Read the verse, according to his power that is at work within us. What does that power exist to do? Teach you to grasp how high and how wide and how long and how deep is the love of Christ. So we think about the power of God and we think about the miracles and we think about serving. We think about all the things we're supposed to do with our family. But what if the very fuel of that power was always supposed to be ignited by a fresh revelation of the love of God for us personally? And you will end up depleted. And I can tell you personally... I have ended up depleted when I've just seen power go out, power go out, power go out, and then go back and not fill my soul individually and intimately before God. And then you're looking in the mirror and you're looking at yourself spiritually and you're going, what happened to me? I'll tell you this, the unconditional love of God leads to the immeasurable power of God, no doubt. And if you are living off power that goes through you without living off of love that fills you from within, a change needs to be made to your rhythms today. A change needs to be made. And I'm saying this from a personal state of taking ownership over my own life. You cannot continue to run like this. Why? Because empty is the enemy. And when I say empty is the enemy, I'm not talking about waking up one day and going, man, things are really hard right now. I'm talking about waking up one day and your marriage is over. I'm talking about waking up one day and your kids having no respect for you. I'm talking about waking up one day in a season in a state of brokenness where the damage that has been done because you didn't take care of what was happening on your soul on the inside and you didn't really know what was happening. I'm telling you, the consequences are not worth sitting there in inaction today. And your action is to take ground from the enemy. Who's the enemy on the inside of you? Emptiness. Every other attack is external. And we're going to talk about those when we get to the end of this series on December 6th. But for today... Will you take steps in your life to take ground against the enemy of emptiness? And for me personally, it's looked like healthy limitation. The word no is your best friend for those of you who are exhausted, overwhelmed, and overcommitted. And some of those no's are painful. Watch this. Some of those no's will be to things that could have glorified God. But what glorifies God more? You burning yourself out on activity and losing your identity or you staying connected to the identity that God gave you in the first place? What was Jesus's fuel for his ministry? His baptism, where his father said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. I believe Jesus lived off that his entire ministry, but he didn't live off that moment. He repeated that moment in a rhythm of solitude with his father. So you're like, when Jesus kept going to get alone with God, what's he doing? Didn't he help write the book? And does he really need to study it that much? And I I truly believe Jesus had the Old Testament memorized, like many, many teachers did, not just him, 2,000 years ago. 
So I don't think he just needed to read. I don't think he needed to freshen up on some of his Bible verses. Certainly that was part of it. I think he needed to be reminded of again that your value in this world is not the activity of ministry and serving people that you are doing every single day. Your value is revealed in the identity that has filled you from within at your baptism, that you are a child of God. And so ACC, look up here and don't miss this. The team's going to come up here. Josh, you can come up here. I'm almost done. I don't want you to try to recapture the magic of the past today. That is a bad spiritual pursuit. Don't try to feel what you once felt. Don't try to go back to a season that you can't return to. I want you to get a fresh revelation of who God is. And I'm praying. Prayer is the only way to get it, by the way. I'm praying that you would get power in your inner being to grasp this. And I'm praying that you would take the necessary steps needed. So I've taken some steps and said some no's and made some limitations that are uncomfortable for me. One of them is preaching to you guys less. I have found it to be unhealthy how often I'm in front of you. And, and, and the reason why it's unhealthy is not because it's like hard or just too much for me to do. It's because I've realized my soul needs, like you guys need to sit with you every once in a while. Somebody else teach and somebody else pour the word of God into me. I've gotten a life coach, which is awesome. I've reckon, yeah, there's a life coach person back there. I've gotten some help. You need people beside you who are going, hey, these are some, some really unhealthy rhythms that you're saying yes to over and over again. But I want you to structure your life for flourishing in serving God, however you're called to serve God. You've got to have time alone with God. You've got to have a life of vibrant prayer and worship. And until you do, no is the best thing you can say to the next commitment and the next thing being asked of you. And so we get to the end of this message and it's like, okay, well, what's the takeaway? You haven't even given us one point. I only have one, and there's no way I can accurately tell you all the potential consequences of you not listening to me right now, but just trust me. If you've blown it in the past, God is a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, and thousandth chances. You're given a new opportunity today. What's your opportunity today? Well, I got one point. This is the whole sermon, y'all. If empty is the enemy, glory is the remedy. Glory is the remedy. How did the passage end? According to his power that is at work within us to do immeasurably more, to help us hold on to the love of God. Watch this doxology. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is rich in mercy. He's also rich in glory. And glory is the fuel that burns away our desire for things that are less than God. And so if you're empty today, I would assume it's because it's been a while since you stood in awe and wonder at who God is. It's been a while since you've feasted on his goodness. And to be real with y'all, we wanted to take communion so bad today. No good COVID way to do it and all those things considered. But I just... Man, especially for the dads in the room, if you get time this week to set aside, to take communion with your family or maybe a group of friends, like I know that that's not like, oh, well, you should definitely do it in church. But if we can't do it together right now, I trust you guys to be able to do that in a holy and a reverent way in homes. We need to be remembering physically the body and the blood of Jesus. But more than that, you need to be praying and asking God to blow you away with his glory again. If you're stuck in repetitive, habitual sin, it's because the glory of God hasn't burned away that desire. And a prayer that God will answer in your life 100% of the time, no matter where you find yourself, God will always say yes to this prayer. God, show me your glory again. Reveal to me 
how wise you are, how amazing you are, and let how amazing you are ruin me for anything less than your glory. You pray that prayer today, and God will mess you up this week. But he won't mess you up with how ashamed you should be about where you've been. He'll mess you up with how much he can fill you to the brim, to the measure of all the fullness of God. Come on, would you stand up all over this place? We got a song to sing. And I'm just believing in this moment that God is going to do the very things that have been spoken over you. Would you bow your head? And if you're willing, would you just turn your hands toward heaven to receive? We need to be filled up. Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name for people in this room who know you. And God, if they could be really honest right now, they're so empty, they don't know how to take their next step spiritually. I pray that the openness of their heart and the longing of our hearts to grasp more of your love would overwhelm your throne right now and you would send power, send power from heaven to fill us within, not to do more work, but to be who you say we are. God, we love you. These songs are for you today. They're for your glory. I pray that your glory would burn away any other gods and any other idols. God, take away the enemy of emptiness today. In Jesus' name, come on, let's sing.